You're listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. I am glad you're here. I'm glad we're here together. I'm glad John Wright is with me. John, I'm glad you're here. Thank you, Bart. And, and, and John, I feel good today. You do? I do. Not least reason of which is because earlier today, I, I had my first round of babysitting my granddaughter who lives just around the corner now because my daughter had to do something for work. And I felt like I, like I, I had entered into the fraternity of grandparents who watched their grandchildren <laughs> in uh -huh. that way. And it was a joy. You loved it. I love it. And, and, I, it, it, and it's a weird thing. It's, it, it's very akin to falling in love in the sense of I remember when I, you know, you, when I was starting to date, people talk about falling in love and you say, how will you know? And they go, oh, you'll know. And, uh, and you read, hear songs about it and you read books about it and you go like, yeah, I, I think I know what this is about. It's a very intense feeling. I'm, I'm sure, you know, this is, and then it happens to you. And you think, no one's ever felt this way before. This is completely <laughs> unique. I invented this emotion. Right. Um, and it's very similar in that everyone told me what it would be like to be a grandfather. And uh, I believed them. And then when it happened, it was like, no, no this is not, this is something very different. Um, and, and, and it is a, a unique set of emotions that I have never felt before. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's not often that a that an experience gives you new emotions. Yeah, and 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 they're they're not. It's a, I think it's a little bit also like you hear people do, doing psychedelic drugs, mm -hmm. and they come back and they say, "Whoa, you know that was unbelievable." And when they talk to each other, they go like, "Oh, I know what you're talking about. Oh, I know what you're talking about." But they couldn't explain it to you unless you experienced it for yourself. Yeah. And that's the thing, like this, this, this is a, a, an explosion of emotional impulses that I think when I talk to other people who have had it, there's a, there's a, a clear understanding, but, but. Well, I'm uh, loving that you're in the middle of that right now. Yeah. So that's great. So yeah. anyway, th that was a good thing that happened today before I came to talk with you. So I know this is supposed to be a Q and a podcast, but I, I already know what the, the questions are. Okay. Because I keep getting all these emails from people about three things. The last two weeks, I've been getting emails about three things over and over again. One is people saw this article in the Atlantic Monthly about secular churches um, struggling and failing mm -hmm. and why they're struggling. Uh, and everyone's like, what do you think of that? You're into secular community being, what about that? The other was a couple of weeks ago, this guy, Joshua Harris, the Christian author who wrote the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, uh, yes. publicly renounced his faith. Mm -hmm. And then shortly to be followed by one of the worship leaders and songwriters of the Hillsong megachurch movement, who also publicly deconverted. And bo both these young, young to me, um, but both these men are experiencing like unbelievable amounts of publicity and social media blowback. And uh, so all these people have written to me and saying, what do you think of that? Are you going to reach out to them? Are you going to have them on the show? And I think we should talk about all three of those things. I agree. But before we talk about other people, we should talk about our people. 
And what I mean is, it's time for the shout outs. All right, some patrons. Are you ready for the shout outs? I am. All right. Todd Mason, Chad Grell, Thomas Stribling, Edward Hardy, Jack Schultheis, David Kelly, Robert Weber, Ned McFarland, and Neil Sands. And then stuck in there amongst all those fine men is Tammy Capilla. And Tammy, I'm so glad you're with us. Based on the emails, I think we have a lot more women with us than I sometimes talk about when we're doing these shout outs. Right. Yeah. But I don't care if these are men or women. I'm just excited that we have people on the team, on the Me squad. Too. Me too. So all you people on the squad, I hope you feel the love because the love from John and I is quite real. And frankly, the love from a lot of other people who like the show and who the show is helpful to is quite real because it means a lot to them and it means a lot to us that you make it possible for us to just keep pumping this stuff out there. So, John. Yes, sir. I said I would get us here in five minutes. Did it, you do it? It, it? it took about six minutes. <laughs> That's not bad. But I wanted to get to it because I wanted to get into conversation with you. Yeah. I mean, these are this is interesting stuff, isn't it? It is for the people in our audience because, um, you know, I talk a lot about the secular community building stuff and I have a lot of really strong ideas about how it should and shouldn't be done. And when I read this article, I, I, I have to say that, that, this, that this woman sort of follows this one woman in New York City who is a deconverted Christian, who is feeling that loss of church, that loss of fellowship, that loss of activity in her life. She missed it. And then she found the Sunday assembly and she thought, this is it. And then three years later, the Sunday assembly failed in New York City. And the writer of the article says, this is happening all over the place, that that these things started off with incredible promise and many of them are struggling and many of their family, not just Sunday assembly, but also the Oasis movement and some other stuff that people have been trying out there. And, and she just kind of like lays out her reasoning why these things are failing. And did you agree with the reasoning? Well, you know, to, I would say she got like three out of five. I think, I think the three or four things she said were dead on. Mm -hmm. But I think she missed a few things. Okay. So, the, I mean, the first thing she said that I thought was, she, she said, she points out that the, the finances work really differently for a secular community than they do for a Christian community. Right. Christians you grew give, up in a Christian community. Yeah, you Christians give sacrificially and because it's a God thing. Yeah. And because there's a clear tradition where they grew up, everybody talks about it. Like, oh yeah, it's 10%, you know, you mm -hmm. got to tithe. And it's, it's in the scripture. You yeah. should, the idea, and, and there's this sense in which there's a promise that your life will get better if you do so. Right. That you will be divinely blessed if you give. But I think that's only half of the, I, I think that's only half of the story why, pe why secular people don't give. I think the other half of the story is that people give to things not that entertain them, but that transform them. Mm. That people become passionate about things that change their lives for the better. 
And I think that, um, as the writer of the article points out, that for a lot of these communities, the point of the community is to be together, but, but that in many ways, these communities are organized with a real aversion to any kind of overt spirituality, even overt secular spirituality. Um, and also with a sense that the people that are to be benefited by the ministry or by the organization or by the gathering are the people that are right there in the room. And in many cases, people give in churches because they're convinced that this giving is going to impact the lives of people beyond the church. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a mm. part of being, it's a, there's a missionary zeal or a missionary impulse that says, yeah, yeah. We're going to make a difference in other people's lives. This is about, this is my way of contributing to the benefit of other people. And so it makes them feel good in a way that sort of paying for your own country club doesn't. Right, right. No, I, I get that a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, what you're saying makes a lot of sense to me. It's sort of a two-part thing because I guess kind of baked into there is the critique that a lot of these secular communities are appealing to the intellect but not necessarily to the heart. Would that be a good way to put it? I think that's true. But I think also, to, because like the Sunday assembly is very much appealing to like, we're going to, we're going to dance. We're going to celebrate. We're going to sing pop songs. We're going to, you know, it's going to be wild and exciting and upbeat. Like, it's not that they're not appealing to emotion at all. It's that they're not appealing to the emotion of, I want to make a difference in other people's lives. Hmm. It, 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 they're appealing to like, we're going to make, we're going to, we're going to be happy together. We're going to make each other happy. Um, we're going to celebrate together, but not, we're going to make a difference. And I think that in the end, uh, communities, Jean Vanier, uh, who, who, who was a great writer on communities, uh, once said that any community that exists to be a community won't last very long that the only communities that last are those that have an external mission, that those that have a purpose beyond themselves. Gotcha. And, uh, and so I, I think that that, I think that she sort of, she sort of didn't say explicitly, but, but there was a clear sense in which um, they, these folks found it was hard to get people to keep coming. And she says, you know, the point wasn't to put what, what the point was of being there was to be there together. And I think like anything that the point of being there is to be there together isn't going to last very long. At some point, you've got to be there together for a larger, a larger mission, a larger purpose. Mm -hmm. But the other, you know, the other thing that she says is she says, Hey, you know, these communities take a lot of, a lot of work and, at one point, she quotes Sanderson Jones, the guy who founded this, one of the founders of Sunday Assembly, saying, if Sunday Assembly was a Christian community there would, that suddenly had brand recognition, a flock of pastors would come and bring all their skills and experience. You could buy training videos. There'd be conferences you could go to. There, you know, so he's talking about like, there's all this infrastructure, but the secular congregations have no in infrastructure. Right. And I think that that's a, a truth too, is that they're judging whether or not this this stuff is going to work three years in, five years in. And I think the real question is where are we 40 years in or 50 years in? I think it takes a long time to build the infrastructure to support this kind of, this kind of spiritual 
endeavor. Definitely. It's a little bit, I mean, from what I've seen of, of Sunday Assembly, which I really like, there's a lot of um, kind of TED Talk-like structure to it. Uh, and and I wonder how easy it is to keep those kinds of speakers coming. Well, yeah, that's the funny thing. It's like at one point they quote one of the leaders of the, of the Oasis gang and that person says like, you know, we're really concentrating on the quality of the gatherings um, that, you know, it's, it, we've got to have really great speakers. And, you know, if we do good enough stuff, people will come back. And I'm like, boy, there's, there's no way you'll ever compete with the internet or with. Yeah, I was going to say like immediately at your fingertips in your pocket now. You have access to really, really high quality content. Yeah, you're going to hear better speakers on a podcast. You're going to hear better and more inspiring music at any at any Broadway show or just while watching America's Got Talent. Um, and so on some level, I, I, I think that any community that says, hey, we think we're going to we're going to succeed or fail on the on the quality of our. Um, on the show. On the show. The quality of the yeah. show. And, yeah. and, and what I thought when I read her, that, that guy writing about that and her talking about that was I thought, listen, you know, the gathering or the show is the means to the end. The end is people don't stay committed to these communities because of the show. They stay committed because of the relationships and the care and the interaction and the sense of belonging that they get. Now, the show is important component of getting people to feel that way but like mm -hmm. it isn't the show itself it's what the show points towards it's what the show facilitates and so if you think the show is the if you think they're coming for the show you've missed the you you don't understand church at all right and any church that puts on a great show but doesn't deliver relationships and doesn't deliver transformation and doesn't deliver kind of moral structure for people doesn't last very long either no matter how good their Christian show is, Christian show, secular show, you know, people can always find a better show. What they can't always find mm -hmm. is a better family. As she was writing about it, I don't think she, the author or the people she was interviewing grasped that it isn't about the show and it isn't about entertaining people. It's about sweeping people up and connecting them together in an organization that they feel like enables them to, to make a difference in the lives of other people, where they feel like I'm part of something that, that gives meaning to my life um, rather yeah. than just that gives um, happiness to my life. One thing she mentioned that I thought was really good was she said, you know, that a lot of these communities suffer because they don't have costly rituals and that she said secular people they want to do what they want and that kind of everybody doing their own thing and nobody asking nobody putting any kind of moral um obligation or burden on people she's like she thought that was essential or, or, or that that was at the heart of most of these secular communities. And I thought to myself, if it is, if you're not going to say to people that to be part of this congregation requires this kind of sacrifice or offers this kind of transcendence or, 
or, or, or promises this kind of change in your life. If you don't have a vision of this is what we define as the good life and we're going to challenge you mm. to step into it. I, yeah, I don't, I don't see how anybody's going to keep coming to something that doesn't, that doesn't offer them that. Yeah. Does this uh, make you reflect on your group's efforts in uh, Cincinnati? It did. I read this article and I thought, you know what? Um, we're trying to do all the things that she says that people are not doing. Like we're trying to do rituals and we're being really overt about our spirituality and sort of saying like, these are our values and these are our practices. And this is our kind of, we're doing meditations together and we're doing singing together. And it's all based on kind of promoting a certain kind of, lifestyle. And, and the other thing is what she doesn't say the, the word love does not come up in this article. And I just think like, I, I don't mean to say like, I mean to say love. I don't think you can build a community where there isn't an overt commitment that to be part of this community is that we're going to love each other. We're going to be, we're going to be committed to each other in a way that is loving and we're going to try to help each other become better at loving other people that that I, I just don't think you can build a religious community. Even if it's a secular religion, I don't think you can build a secular religious community around anything but love. Yeah, and it seems to me that's where secular people sort of freak out sometimes. It's almost like once you start talking about that, they become uncomfortable. Yeah, have you you you've you've encountered people that that they get they, they get they get a little bit nervous. Yep. I and the other thing they get nervous well, because about, it sounds a little bit like a cult or something to them. Then, like, oh, we're going to love yes. you. And you know, the other aspect of cultiness that they don't like they don't like it when you when when you say we're going to have somebody be our leader. Right. <laughs> yeah. They don't want any leaders, uh -huh. and that was she missed that completely. That religious communities always have leadership, overt leadership. Where somebody's sort of like, I'm not in charge of everything. I'm not the boss of everything, but like, I'm the one who's up front. I'm the one who's, who's delivering the message. And there's a consistency of leadership that almost all of these other organizations, Sunday Assembly, Oasis, a number of them, they're always switching off who's in front. And they're like, we don't have any leaders. It's, it's by democracy or it's, it's by consensus. And I just, you know, I say this over and over again. I've never seen a school, a university, a company, a social movement. I've never seen anything succeed without leadership. Right. And so that, you know, it, it doesn't mean dictatorship and it doesn't mean unaccountable leadership. Well, and I was going to say it doesn't, it also doesn't no. mean necessarily one charismatic individual that has, you know, things revolving around that it doesn't mean you need to be Steve Jobs or you know, someone like yeah. that. There have to, people have to, people have to know when they go to something, Hey, these are the people that are sort of setting the tone and, and they're accountable and, and, and they're open and I can, I can speak in, but these are the people that in a sense hold the vision and they can articulate the vision and they are trying to move us in a, in a particular direction. And, uh, and, and it's not that you can't, it's not that it's, you can't enter into that circle. Um, it's not that somebody might not leave that circle, but the idea is that, that there is some sense in which you can identify who, who's, who's steering. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of cases, I've, I, I've struggled to find, when I go to, 
secular congregations. They go like, hey, who am I to tell anybody else how to live? And I always say like, hey, if you're not willing to tell people how to live, you're probably not going to be able to run a transformative community. You, I mean, you got to be humble in that process and sort of go like, hey, we're not saying this is the best way of life for any, everybody, but we're saying like, this is the way of life that we're doing here. And if you don't like this way, like you might want to look for a different community, but like we have a very discernible ethic and this is how we define the good life and we're trying to help each other live it. And if this, if our, if our version of the good life sounds good to you, this, you might fit in here. And if it doesn't, this is probably not your party. But if you try right. to run something that appeals to everybody, um, that we go like, we're not here to tell anybody, any, do anybody, everybody can do what they think best and be an, a member in good standing here. I don't think, I don't think you can, you can call it uh, a genuine community. I think a genuine community has a set of values and practices in common. So anyway, I don't, I don't know if that's helpful. I, I really liked the article. I was glad she did it. I, I was sorry she didn't want to come on the show and talk about it with me. Um, but uh, You were saying she basically just didn't think she had too much more to offer other than what she wrote? Yeah. She said, I'm, not, I'm no expert in this stuff. I just uh, called some people and, and, and asked them questions and, and wrote an article. And uh, I said, right. yeah, I actually didn't want to talk to you because I thought you were an expert. I wanted to talk to you because you're one of the few people I know that's taken the time to ask what's going on here. Why are these things not going as well as they were going before? It's, it's, it's very, very interesting. So yeah. I guess we'll, uh, we'll, we'll put the link to the article on the show notes and people can tell us what they think. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'd be great. Do you got Do you got a few minutes to talk about Joshua Harris and, uh, sure. And, and, and what's the other guy's name? Marty Sampson. Marty Sampson. Yeah. The Hillsong guy. Hillsong's huge. Hillsong's huge. And, and evidently this guy was a big deal. He wrote a lot of their songs. Right. I get, and I and, guess it's been a while since he wrote anything big for them. And so people have been sort of, he's been off people's radar for a little while as far as, he's sort of one of the original crew, I guess. And yeah. which is why it is actually a bigger story too, because he helped build Hillsong. Did you read his post? I did. Yeah. In, in case you haven't, I mean, I, I, should I read a bit of it? Yeah, go for it. It's not, it's not all that long. It says, time for some real talk. I'm genuinely losing my faith and it doesn't bother me. Like what bothers me now is nothing. I am so happy now, so at peace with the world. It's crazy. Uh, this is a soapbox moment, so here I go. How many preachers fall? Many. No one talks about it. How many miracles happen? Not many. No one talks about it. Why is the Bible full of contradictions? No one talks about it. How can God be love yet send four billion people to a place all because they don't believe? No one talks about it. Christians can be the most judgmental people on the planet. They can also be some of the most beautiful and loving people, but it's not for me. I am not in anymore. I mean, you can't get more explicit than that. He says, I want genuine truth, not the I just believe it kind of truth. Science keeps piercing the truth of every religion. Lots of things help people change their lives, not just one version of God. Got so much more to say, but for me, I'm keeping it real. Unfollow if you want, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. He, he ends in an interesting way. All I know is what's true to me right now. And Christianity just seems to me like another religion at this point. <laughs> I could go on, but I won't. Love and forgive, absolutely. Be kind, absolutely. Be generous and do good to others, absolutely. Some things are good no matter what you believe. Let the rain fall, the sun will come up tomorrow. <laughs> and I think there's, 
that's what what I found was is that he wasn't saying fuck this shit. I'm gonna go get you know wasted and you know buy a Lamborghini. He was he was he, like so many people I know. What's frustrating to him is is he doesn't think like Christianity didn't deliver what he was hoping for. He wanted miracles. He wanted you know grace for all. He, he, right. You know, he, 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 he still, he wanted truth. And, and so, you know, he, it, it, it's not as though he was a, led away by a different value system. He, it seems like he's walking away with the same values. Yeah. Love, forgiveness, kindness, generosity. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yeah. That's why I can relate yeah. to this guy. Um, however, I would have never come out on Instagram, even if I had Instagram, even if I knew how it worked. I don't think you came out anywhere, really. It was, a, it was I think, a reporter that asked you the question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, somebody noticed I was the, I had become the humanist chaplain at USC and they came around and said, <laughs> how can you be the humanist chaplain? Weren't you a Christian? I was like, yeah, you know. I was, they said, you know, why, where, where's your manifesto? I was like, yeah, you know, I, I told my parents and most of my friends so know. Someone noticed I was the humanist chaplain. Yeah. And I, I tell you, I'm so glad I didn't because he, I, I mean, I saw that they, they, he posted this thing and then he, un, he pulled it down. And I can't even imagine in this social media environment what he got and, and, the, and the way people right. probably are reaching out to him. People reached out to me and said, hey, you should have him on the podcast. <laughs> no way. You know, he's not ready to be on any podcast. Mm -hmm. Right. This is he's the front end of a really difficult transition. Um, you know, I would love to reach out and talk with him because I think it's very helpful when you've left a high profile Christian situation to talk to somebody who's been down that track and and who knows a little bit about what to watch out for and some things to think about and can help you um navigate. But my gosh, I, I have no desire to use that guy. Uh, and I'm worried that a lot of people mm -hmm. will, that, that people want to, on the one hand, there'll be bunches of evangelical Christians trying to reconvert him. And on the other hand, there'll be secular people that want to capitalize on his notoriety to kind of make a point um, or to embarrass Christians or, or something like that. Neither one of those things is, is going to be helpful to that person and his mm -hmm. family. No, I, I agree. And but it's the same with Joshua Harris, both of these guys. It's like, you know, they're they're having some very they may be high profile people, but they've got some stuff to do internally. Oh, I mean, Joshua Harris just he, he he's first he says, I'm leaving my marriage, you know, and this is the I kiss dating goodbye guy who wrote this hugely influential book about how to court and date your, you know, how, how to find a spouse in in, in the God way. Mm -hmm. Which, John, as I remember, you have some personal experience with. I do, as a matter of fact. When I met my wife, uh, Melissa, when she was 18, I was 19, uh, she had been reading Joshua Harris. And, and it came out right around that time. She was mid-teens. She was growing up in a fundamentalist household. In the United and, States. Where that yes, was huge. in the United States, where that was huge. And, of course, I was from Northern Ireland. It's a completely different kind of evangelicalism <laughs> over there. And, you know, I was just stunned by these ideas that Joshua Harris had, which were essentially don't do anything, even even kiss before you're married. And 
uh, basically don't date at all unless it's to get married. I think I'm summarizing it fairly. I, I think so. And, and, and what's interesting is, is that it was hugely influential. Yes. I don't know that I don't know that people stopped kissing. I just know they started feeling really guilty about it. Well, I'll tell you, Melissa certainly didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She broke all the rules. Yeah. She, I, I, I mean, when she got to you, though, she was thinking that was the way she was going to go, right? Oh, yeah. She told, she informed me, I don't believe in, and it took me a while to figure out where these ideas were coming from, um, because not only did we not have Joshua Harris in the UK, but we didn't even have this sort of uh, Christian purity culture at all. So, you know, there's sort of, sort of some vague ideas that you should wait until marriage, but it's not the same level of uh, intensity as you it is here. Yeah, you, you, people weren't wearing rings and going oh, no, to proms no. with their dads. Oh, and... my God. No, in fact, our parents stayed out of our lives uh, uh, to, <laughs> to the, the biggest part. I mean, we were, we were, as soon as we were teens, we were pretty much just off the leash and doing our own thing. And, um, you, and that was in, in the Christian culture. And you know, what's interesting is, is that Joshua Harris, when I, when I read up on him, because people started reaching out saying, like, you, you need to talk to Joshua Harris. What's going on with Joshua Harris? And uh, it, it, it seems that he made, they made a documentary about him. And he was, still in the Christian, he was still in the Christian paradigm at that point. But he was right. saying, yeah, I think I might have got this whole dating thing wrong. Yes. Yes. I mean, essentially what's happened, I think, is over many years, he's heard more and more and more people like Melissa, like my wife, saying, eh, this idea of yours screwed things up for me in a big way. It damaged me. And I, I, want, I want you to, yeah, I want you to be held to account for it. Yeah. And then, and then I think- These are not good ideas about relationships and sexuality. They're just not. And you know, what's interesting is, is that when you're wrong to that degree- and you recognize it because it actually hurts people. A lot of times that causes you to go, what else was I wrong about? I might be wrong about right. everything. And so it's not yeah. surprising to me that down the road, you know, and then shortly on the heels of coming out and saying he's no longer a Christian, he marches in, the gay, in, in a pride event and he goes, boy, I was wrong about gay people too. And I did a lot of damage there too. I said and, said and preached and wrote a lot of things that hurt gay people. And, uh, right. and so- I think he must be going through an incredibly painful time because when you're that high profile, there are a lot of people whose lives you've influenced and sometimes you've hurt. And when they realize that you're, you've changed, sometimes they come back. I had people come back to me and say, hey, great for you that you like walked away from Christianity free and clear. You got me into Christianity and it really messed with me. And I didn't get away clear. I married somebody who's still a Christian and we, we don't, we're, we're, our relationships falling apart or I got involved in some weird stuff that really wrecked me academically or, or, or economically. And they go like, you know, and you were the one that led me in. And it's very, it's very, it can be very, very painful. Right. No, de definitely. It's, um, it's an odd thing to sort of suddenly realize a lot of what you, sort of your, your mental operating system was buggy, you know? Yeah, there's a verse in the Bible where Paul uh, talks about bringing his uh, message to the Gentiles, to, to the, some of the original disciples. And uh, he says, and I preach to them the gospel that I preach to you, in, lest I be running or had run my race in vain. So he talks about like coming to them and telling them what he's been preaching because he's worried like 
what if I've been preaching the wrong stuff? And right. uh, I remember thinking, wow, that's, you know, even within Christianity, oh, that would be a terrible thing to realize that you had led people astray. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> then you get yeah. to a whole other meta level on the outside of it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so, yeah. I, 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 and, and then, of course, I don't know the circumstances under which Josh Harris's marriage ended. I don't know whether the marriage ending was the precipitator of him realizing I, I can't do the faith thing or the other way around. I don't know either. It's I got the impression that she was certainly from what I saw in the documentary, which is all I'm basing this off. Yeah. It seemed like she was very ready for him to grapple with some of these ideas and very much, you know, in the process of deconversion with him, although maybe that's wrong. Yeah. Well, I, it's funny. I was friends with a Christian evangelist and I was also friends with that evangelist's um, girlfriend who later became his wife. And she was like really uncomfortable with some of the stuff he was preaching because she was like, mm -hmm. you know, in our private lives, that is, you know, I think he really believes that stuff, but we're not actually able to, you know, it, it, when, when you're a public figure, your spouse or your partner, you know, Sometimes it's very, very difficult for them to sort of keep a straight face. Um, mm -hmm. And it's not because you're, it's not because you don't really mean what you're saying sometimes, but it's because you just can't live up to it. Whether it's about money or about anger or about forgiveness or about sexuality. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I can imagine his wife may have been ready for him to have a reckoning. Um, but I can also imagine that they could both give up the faith and then look at each other and say, that was what was holding us together. We, we don't. Yeah. Our, our whole thing was based on yeah. this. And maybe we were staying together and trying to, you know, I, I've known a number of people who were trying to make a fundamentally awkward pairing work because they felt that that was what God required of them. And when they stop believing in God, they go, well, there's no reason to keep this thing going. Or or, right. or or there's not even there's no mechanism to keep it going. We you know outside mm -hmm. of the the structure of the church that sort of shores us up on every corner and tells us we're doing the right thing. When we get out there in the real world and we tell people what's going on, they go like, "Why would you why would you stay with somebody who fundamentally doesn't have any intimacy with you or whatever?" You know, there there are reasons why people separate on the other side that can get glossed over or can get sort of supported in a, in a, in a tight knit religious community that once you're out of that community, there's just not the support there to hold a, to hold a marriage together that isn't going to hold together on its own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that's, you know, I, such a dramatic turner. I mean, you'd I'm sure he never, when he wrote, I mean, you have to remember too, he wrote this book when he was 21. Oh, I mean, gosh. he knew, he, I knew nothing at 21. I'm sure he knew nothing at 21, you know? And so, yeah, it's a, uh, if somewhere there's some Christian publishing company that really ought to be, you know, that, that somebody that that's the person who ought to be making a documentary. Like what, like what business did you have holding up a 21 year old kid as an expert on relationships? <laughs> right. And, and, and giving him that platform and putting that kind of pressure on him. For real. Yeah. It's insane. And, and you know, and, and Joshua, his, his statement coming out is, Again, you know, 
He says, I am learning that no group has the market cornered on grace. This week, I've received grace from Christians, atheists, evangelicals, ex-evangelicals, straight people, LGBTQ people, everyone in between. You know, he's talking about like what's happened since he left. And um, he's full of gratitude. And, you know, these people had reached out to him after his divorce. And then he said, the information that was left out of our announcement is that I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me that there is a different way to practice faith, and I want to remain open to this, but I'm not there now. And, uh, and so there's this sense in which he then goes on to, to say, I, I, I'm really trying to be a good person. And this is when he says, and I want to I add, I'm sorry to the LGBTQ community. Um, it's, it's, he says, I don't view this moment negatively. I feel very much alive, very awake, and surprisingly hopeful. I'm believing That's what Samson si- said too. Yeah, I'm believing with my sister Julian that all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. And I think Julian is a Christian sort of mystic. Um, but he seems to be hopeful that he's going to still be a loving person and he's still going to get to pursue truth and beauty and all the good stuff. Yeah. You know, he was, I believe he went to Canada where they live now or where he lives now or something to go back to school. And I wonder if part of this at least was, may have been an intellectual search for him. Like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure, figure this stuff out. That would make sense. I mean, I think a lot of times it's funny. I know people that go back to school to become a counselor or go back to school to become a nurse and mm-hmm. just the act of sitting down with books again and open and being and, and being taught overtly new concepts and new ideas, you start to go, oh, ideas are things that you learn and people disagree about them. And there's more than one way of thinking about it. And what I think matters. And yeah, I think the academic process oftentimes is. Yeah, when, people when, who people who are scared to change shouldn't go back to school. And shouldn't take psychedelics and shouldn't date. Uh, you know, like there's certain things yeah. that if you want to stay, if you like your life exactly how it is and you don't want it to change at all, then there's a process of opening up that you shouldn't do. Oh, and there's a whole literature on the internet right now. If you look at Joshua Harris or, um, or Marty um, and, 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 and you look at Christian people commenting on what happened to them. And they're mm-hmm. like, look, first of all, they probably weren't Christians to believe in, in, in the, in, in, they weren't real Christians anyway, because real Christians never fail. Oh. <laughs> so they were probably faking it uh-huh. um, all along. And, but the other thing they're saying is this is a important red flag that says, keep your kid in Christian college or Christian school and re- re- make sure that they're not exposed to these ideas. And, you know, the idea that's being put out there is, listen, we're all susceptible to this stuff if we get exposed to it. So make sure to keep your kid insulated. Right. And I think that that's very telling. Yeah. Even, even, even your dad, who is, you know, pro intellectual and, and pro academia and pro education, uh, had that same sort of thought. I mean, he's like, man, if, if you had never gone to Brown, 
you would never, you, you know, you, you, you may not have ended up challenging your faith the way you did. And you got to keep coming to church every week. Right. Um, the, you know, he calls it a plausibility structure. Yeah. Um, but a brainwasher or a cult leader would call it something different. But what, what, we, what we're aware of is, is that there are certain ways of thinking that are possible if they are completely supported and surrounded that become very hard to hold on to when you're in the marketplace of ideas. Yeah. And, I, you know, I dare say that that may be part of what's going on with, with, with these, these folks. All I know for sure is, is that I wish that secular people, when they saw somebody deconverting, there are two things I wish that they would think. Number one is that person's lost something in somebody very important to them. They're probably grieving right now. Um, we shouldn't celebrate too hard. We shouldn't, shouldn't assume that, 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 that they're all, that all is well over there, that they may be in a very hard moment. You know, cause a lot of times people run around, Hey, glad you came over. Boy, didn't you stupid stuff, huh? And, and you know, that's, it's not where you're at. Right. And, and that's not a, that's not a kind or a helpful thing. The other thing is, I think there's, you, you have to have a realization that sometimes people are testing out leaving the faith and then that often they find that life outside or away from God isn't as rich or as full for them. And sometimes they go back. And so just because somebody tells you they're deconverted doesn't mean that they're, that they're all the way out. And you should continue to, to, to treat them in some ways like a person who is in process. Hmm. Um, and don't, don't jump on them too fast. Don't think, don't, don't put them in a position of leadership too fast. Like, Give them some time to figure stuff out. The other thing is just because they've left that worldview doesn't mean that they've adopted yours and doesn't mean that they have, you know, it's funny. I, 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 we're going to have, a, we're going to be having this conversation with Phil Zuckerman about morality. Don't assume that just because somebody's left Christianity, that they've adopted, that they, they are now a fully formed humanist who has a, a value system. They understand they may be really lost. They may be really struggling. They may not know how to make decisions anymore. Yeah. I always think of that scene from The Matrix where Neo is, is pulled out of The Matrix and he wakes up on the table and they're working on his body and, and he opens his eyes and he, and he goes, ah, ah. He goes, why, do, why, does, why does my eyes hurt so much? And Morpheus says, because you've never used them. <laughs> yeah, You've never used these muscles. Right. You know, you've been in a system that did everything for you. And- now you're going to have to learn to stand and you're not ready for it yet. That's a, that's a good analogy in a lot of ways. Yeah. So you have to recognize that in the same way that when an alcoholic has been become an alcoholic at 13 and then is one for 20 years, they may be 33 years old on a calendar, but emotionally in terms of their ability to cope with problems, they're about 13 years old. They're, 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 once they develop that coping mechanism, once they develop that way of escaping moral agency you know, they haven't developed anything. And so you have to, you have to recognize that a part of them is really underdeveloped. Well, it's the same thing. Yeah. And so when people come out of Christianity, there's oftentimes muscles that they've never used. And if you, if you, if you rush them, you're going to hurt them. So anyway, people, all you people that were writing and asking, what do I think about Joshua Harris? What do I think about the Hillsong guy? That's what, 
That's what I think. I, and John, I, I don't know if you're like, yeah, that makes sense to me. Or if you're like, I, I have I have another thought. No, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, but it's they're they're both pretty big, you know, characters in their own. I mean, especially and you know how this is when you're sort of identified with the movement. Basically, by everybody in your life, it's a huge thing to sort of step aside. And it seems like it maybe was a slightly less dramatic thing for Samson in the sense of just being, it sounds like he was just starting to enjoy his life outside of Christianity more and more. Whereas with Joshua Harris, it almost seemed like it was a, it's it's, shaking it off. Yeah. He's He's like, he's like, he's like bursting out of the cocoon. Yeah, it's a very active process, it sounded like, and engaging and wrestling with a lot of stuff that he had been saying uh, years ago. So, yeah, no, I mean, they're, they're, I'm going to be really curious to see where both of these guys end up. And, uh, you know, you never know, on this podcast might be, might be part of that eventually. I would love to be able to talk to them and, you know, find out what went on for them. Yeah, yeah, I mean... Eventually, I would. I mean, I would love to. If if anyone knows these people, steer them towards me just as a friend. Like I would love to just take them out for a cup of coffee, right. and and try to be somebody who's been there for them. But uh, it's going to be a while before I, I you know, it's going to be a while because the other thing is is that they're going to experience the, the they're going to hear from so many people who are going to tell them how disappointed they are and how saddened they are and how troubled they are by this. And even if you think people are troubled by you for all the wrong reasons, it is painful to hurt lots of people. Right. I hurt lots of people. Yeah. They Or they were hurt by me, <laughs> passive voice or whatever. The bottom line is that that, that sits heavily with you. It sits heavily with you. And yeah. uh, there's an emotional weight to that. So I, I just, we just got to give these people some time and, and we've got to hope that they get surrounded by people that can help them develop um, uh, their humanity and that, who can help them to embrace finitude and embrace death and, and embrace making the most of this life and all the things that we talk about on this program. We've got to really hope that there are people there that for want of a better phrase, that are committed to humanizing them. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. All right. All right, John. Hey, thanks. This is this is good. This is fun to talk with you about this stuff. Absolutely. And to the rest of you, you know where to find us. You know how to contact us. You know we love to hear from you. And uh, you know that we'll be back to see you next time on Humanizing. For more on BART, go to bartcampolo.org. If you like this podcast, please consider supporting it every month and get extra content for it. Go to patreon.com slash humanize me. Our patrons do make the show happen. Follow us at humanize me pod on Twitter and humanize me podcast on Instagram. You can also join other listeners on our private Facebook group. Just search humanize me on Facebook to ask your own question on the show. Leave it as a voicemail at 424 424- 291-2092. That's 424-291-2092. And finally, please review us on iTunes. It really helps. Catch you next week. Humanize Me is a production of Jux Media. Hey, you could be larger than life. Bigger than the world. Living out the hopes and dreams of everybody.
good